29, Genesis chapter 29, the end of the chapter going into chapter 30. We are in the middle of uh, a two-part episode of Jerry Springer, um, is what it seems as we're looking at these verses. Um, not that I've ever watched Jerry Springer, but um, you can imagine what I'm talking about. Remember where we are in the story in Genesis chapter 29. Here is Jacob. We've learned he's a scoundrel, yes? Okay, Jacob is a scoundrel. Nothing good about the guy. Nothing good that would cause God to pour out grace upon him. Yet God, unmerited favor, poured out on Jacob. Jacob is the child of the promise. He is the next in line for this promise, this covenant. Uh, Jacob was the younger. He chose, he stole from his older brother the birthright and the blessing. And he did this because he's a scoundrel. Esau was pretty much a scoundrel as well, could care less about the things of God, and that's proven out in his life. Now, Jacob is forced away from the home, out in the wilderness, and God is going to use these years to discipline Jacob. But it's not going to happen overnight. In fact, Jacob is going to have all of the sins of his youth come home to roost in his own tent, in his own home. He's going to see sibling rivalry played out among his wives. He's going to see deception played out because of his father-in-law, Laban. So you remember last week we looked at Laban, who is a scoundrel. Jacob met his match. Jacob is being disciplined by God, by God using a sinful man Sinning against Jacob in the same way Jacob sinned against other people. How often God does that in our lives. That he has people treat us poorly to remind us of how we've treated others. So that we might be brought to repentance. And Jacob isn't quite coming to repentance yet. That may come down the line. But what we do see is God continuing to work in Jacob's life. We see God working most of the time. Not through what Jacob is doing. But in spite of what Jacob is doing just want to give a fair warning. You're going to see a lot more of that happening today in the passage of Scripture. But I also want to give us a fair warning. It is a better place for God to be working through what we're doing than for God to be working in spite of what we're doing. So may, may we be people who hear Jacob's example, hear the example of Leah and Rachel, and come running back to Jesus, come running back to trusting him and seeing him as the chief treasure of our souls, that he would be the only God for us, the one who would equip us, the one who would bless us, the one who accepts us, the one who loves us, and that would be enough for us. So as we come to Genesis chapter 29, I just want you to follow along in your copy of God's Word. You're going to see this strange family play itself out here. It is a fascinating story, and ultimately what it comes down to is us beginning to see the root of of what idolatry does in the life of a person. And you may say, but there's no mention of carved idols in here or anything like that. Let, let me make this clear. Idolatry is of the mind as much as it is of the hand. In fact, A.W. Pink says, an idol of the mind is as offensive to God as an idol of the hand. Everything, anything we would think about God that is unbecoming of God, that is not actually up to who God is, would be idolatry. And so we need to make sure we're not just paying lip service to God today. You're going to see a lot of lip service being paid to God in these verses. And yet the heart and the behavior will demonstrate something completely different. That the heart and behavior, the heart and the treasure is placed on something lesser than God himself. And we want to make sure we are not guilty of the same. So let me just say, you're going to read through this with me and you're going to say, I would never do what these people are doing. Okay. 
You're going to read through this. You'll be like, I actually like my siblings. Would never do that to my sister. Would never do that to my husband. Would never do that to my wife. And I would say, well, bravo. You're like 99.9% of the rest of the world. But what we could see in all of the craziness of their family is we're going to see some root issues that I do think come home to roost in our lives. And my prayer is that we'll see those things and we'll root them out with the Spirit. As the Spirit reveals these things, that we will root them out by putting them to death in our lives. So if you would, just follow along, beginning with verse 31 in chapter 29. When the Lord saw that Leah was hated, remember, two sisters, Leah the oldest, Rachel the youngest. Rachel, beautiful. Jacob falls in love with her. Leah, homely, weak-eyed. That's the way it says it in Scripture. I don't know what that means, if she had a lazy eye, what. But she's at least, while not necessarily ugly, she's at least... uh, Homely compared to Rachel. Okay, Now, Leah was hated. The Lord saw this, and he opened her womb, but Rachel was barren. See right there, God is the one who's going to give children. Okay, God is the one who's going to open and close wombs. We have a wife who's barren. This is a recurring theme throughout the book of Genesis so far, right? And God is the one who opens and closes wombs. This is what we believe. And Leah conceived and bore a son, and she called his name Reuben. For she said, because the Lord has looked upon my affliction, for now my husband will love me. She conceived again and bore a son and said, because the Lord has heard that I am hated, he has given me this son also. And she called his name Simeon. Just right there, first two sons. I want you to pay attention. She's giving lip service to the Lord. See, the Lord has done this because he's seen that I'm hated or he's seen that I'm not loved. It's not the Lord loves me. The Lord hears me. The Lord sees me. And that's enough for me. It's I want to be loved. I want to be noticed. I want to be seen by my husband. So you can immediately begin to see that idolatry is taking root in her life. Jacob is the one she desires more than God himself. So I want you to pay attention to how that plays itself out in this scenario, in this baby war. So we see in verse 33, the Lord has heard that I am hated. He has given me the son also. She called his name Simeon. Again, she conceived and bore a son. All right, let me also make an aside here. Evidently, she wasn't that ugly. Okay, and she conceived and bore a son. Jacob likes her a little bit. Okay, all right. Now this time my husband will be attached to to me because I have borne him three sons. Therefore, his name was called Levi. And she conceived again and bore a son and said, this time I will praise the Lord. Therefore, she called his name Judah. Then she ceased bearing. When Rachel saw that she bore Jacob no children, she envied her sister. She said to Jacob, give me children or I shall die. Underline, she envied her sister. There is a root sin within idolatry that when we envy others, we are obviously taking our eyes off the source of all good things in our life. And we're looking to something lesser. She envied her sister. She said to Jacob, give me children or I shall die. Jacob's anger was kindled against Rachel. And he said, am I in the place of God who has withheld from you the fruit of the womb? Then she said, here is my servant Bilhah. Here we go again. I mean, how many times are we going to walk down the same road and make the same mistakes and the same sins are going to happen? Here is my servant Bilhah. Go into her so that she may give birth on my behalf, that even I may have children through her. So she gave him her servant Bilhah as a wife, and Jacob went into her. And Bilhah conceived and bore Jacob a son. Then Rachel said, God has judged me and has also heard my voice and given me a son. Therefore, she called his name Dan. 
Rachel's servant Bilhah conceived again and bore Jacob a second son. Then Rachel said, With mighty wrestlings I have wrestled with my sister and have prevailed. So she called his name Naphtali. When Leah saw that she had ceased bearing children, she took her servant Zilpah. What was that, Jonathan? Go ahead. What is wrong with these people, right? She took her servant Zilpah and gave her to Jacob as a wife. Then Leah's servant Zilpah bore Jacob a son, and Leah said, Good fortune has come. So she called his name Gad. Leah's servant Zilpah bore Jacob a second son, and Leah said, Happy am I, for women have called me happy. So she called his name Asher. In the days of wheat harvest, Reuben went and found mandrakes in the field and brought them to his mother Leah. These are supposed to be fertility uh, fruits. Okay, So there's a legend about mandrakes that they're fertility fruits. So now Reuben is out looking for fertility fruit for mom to give to dad so that mom can win. Then Rachel said to Leah, please give me some of your son's mandrakes. But she said to her, is it a small matter that you have taken away my husband? Would you take away my son's mandrakes also? Rachel said, then he may lie with you tonight in exchange for your son's mandrakes. When Jacob came home, came from the field in the evening, Leah went out to meet him and said, you must come into me for I have hired you with my son's mandrakes. And remember, they're husband and wife. So he lay with her that night. Jacob, not an innocent bystander in all of this, seems not to mind too much what's happening to him. And God listened to Leah, and she conceived and bore Jacob a fifth son. Leah said, God has given me my wages because I gave my servant to my husband. So she called his name Issachar. And Leah conceived again, and she bore Jacob a sixth son. Then Leah said, God has endowed me with a good endowment. Now my husband will honor me because I have borne him six sons. She started with, he'll see me, he'll hear me, he'll be attached to me. Now he'll honor me. Afterwards, she bore a daughter and called her name Dinah. Then God remembered Rachel, and God listened to her and opened her womb. She conceived and bore a son and said, God has taken away my reproach. And she called his name Joseph, saying, May the Lord add to me another son. Idolatry is an insipid, insipid disease. It's something that we all struggle with on some level. When our desires and our love is misplaced. When instead of going to God for belonging, for attachment, for love, for acceptance, we look for it in other things. We can look for it in money. We can look for it in the American dream. We can look for it in family we can look for it in our children we can look for it in just belonging to the society around us and we can find it in various places and it it takes root in different ways in our lives but there's a reason the bible consistently and constantly calls us to be wary of idolatry and and equates idolatry with other sins colossians chapter 3 Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion and desire and covetousness, which is idolatry. When you begin to envy and you're, covet, you're coveting what other people have, it's proof of idolatry in your own heart. When was the last time you envied someone else in their position, what they had, something about them? So if we've ever envied, we know what idolatry looks like. It may not look like trading your husband for mandrakes. In your life, but what it may look like is trading relationships. It may look like trading love for God for being accepted by someone else. It may look like giving lip service to God while actually 
adoring something lesser. I want you to see that the heart of idolatry is ultimately exchanging worship of the creator for worship of the created. Romans 1 tells us that that's the foolishness of man, that we've actually, in our sin, been so deceived that we've actually exchanged the glory of God for something lesser. We've Worship the created instead of the creator. And we thought ourselves wise, but instead we were fools. The deception of idolatry, what happens is that good things easily become idols in our lives. When, when we replace God as our chief desire and the chief source of our hope and identity, what happens is lesser good things soon take his place. And they easily become idols because our desire and identity gets wrapped up in them. That's why children can become an idol. That's why jobs can become an idol. That's why money can become an idol. They're not bad things. They're good things. They can be used for good. But when our desire and our identity gets wrapped up in them, we ultimately begin to worship them with our actions and with our hearts. But I want to warn you that the result of idolatry is always disappointment. It's always dissatisfaction. Never delivers on its promise. None of these lesser, lesser things, no matter how good they are, they never deliver on their promise. They always leave us disappointed because they always compound sin in our life. Idols will never fulfill their promise in our lives. And so we just have to do more to get more. We have to deceive more to get more. We have to hurt more to get more. This is the danger of idolatry, and it's the danger we see in this passage of Scripture in this story. So let's go back through the story real quick, okay? Leah's the hated one, the one, the homely one, the one that Jacob doesn't love. Rachel's the one that Jacob loves, but Rachel's not having any kids because God saw Leah was actually, you know, hated, was actually cast out. And so in order to protect her, God gives her children, gives her not just children, but sons, son after son after son after son, right? Rachel, the loved one, gets no sons. Rachel is barren. So you can even see the anger begin to pop up between Jacob and Rachel there in the story. Hey, give me babies. Hey, not my fault, your fault and God's fault, right? You see that type of thing happening in the story. So All of this is happening, and they begin to use Jacob and the babies as ammunition in this sibling rivalry. And you could think it was just sibling rivalry if you just looked at it at face value. But I want you to see deeper than that. I want you to see the idolatry that was rooted in both of their hearts that caused them to take the people that they should have cared for the most and to treat them like commodities. Their siblings, their children, and their husband. Treated like objects, not people made in the image of God. And the clues here are in the names of the children. So we're going to roll through these names. You may look at it and say, why all the names? Why why is that important? It's an interesting story. Yeah, they were jacked up. I understand. But I want you to pay attention to the names because these names are going to pop back up. Many of them are the names of the tribes of Israel that are going to come later on in the story. And you're going to want to know, this is what God is doing. God is keeping his promise to make a great nation. And these guys are going to be the, at the root of that. So it's important for us to know that God even works through sin and sinfulness, even 
in spite of and through our idolatry, God accomplishes his purposes. So let's first look at the idolatrous desires in Leah's first four children. So notice there in verse 31, the Lord saw Leah. That's important. The Lord saw Leah, saw her plight, saw that she was hated, and the Lord showed mercy and compassion on her. He opened her womb, and Leah conceived and bore a son. The first son she bore, she said, look at this, I'm going to name him Reuben. Why? Because the Lord has looked upon my affliction, now my husband will love me. This is what it means. Reuben means to see or behold. To see or behold a son. This is basically what's happening. God saw me and gave me a son. Now my husband will see me because I gave him a son. It was lip service to God. Look, God saw my affliction and gave me a son. Now my husband will love me. Now he'll notice me. Hey, look over here. See a son. Rachel, no son. Leah, son. Pay attention. The desire here is to be seen, and oftentimes just this desire to be seen will lead us to follow after lesser things than God. I want you to know this. God sees you. That's what verse 31 tells us. She didn't need a son for God to see her. God saw Leah in her affliction. He sees you. You don't need to be seen and accepted anywhere else. God sees you. If you're his child, he sees you. No matter where you are in your life, he sees you. That's good news. And it should be enough for us as his children, as his people. But instead, what we do is we honor God and we say, I know God sees me. We honor God with our lips, but we want desire. We desire love from somewhere else, from something else. We want to be accepted somewhere else. And that will inevitably lead us to idolatrous desires that we we have to be seen and noticed. Have you ever even fallen into the temptation of just trying to be seen and noticed by someone who's not your spouse? It just kind of makes you feel a little more accepted and acceptable. We spend a lot of time in front of mirrors as a people, don't we? To be seen. Some of you don't spend nearly enough time in front of mirrors. I'm just... But we want to be seen. We want to be noticed. See me. Accept me. Love me. Reuben. The second son is Simeon. Here she has the desire to be heard. If you look back at the text, here's what happens. She conceived, verse 33, and bore a son. And said, because the Lord has heard that I am hated, he has given me this son also. She called his name Simeon. Simeon means hearing. Leah named her second son, Simeon, heard because God has heard that I am unloved. She was hoping to receive the affection of her husband. Sometimes just being heard. Have you ever felt like nobody's listening to you? And it just leads to envy that other people are getting listened to. You ever been the person who's had the idea and somebody else takes credit for your idea? Anybody? It just drives you nuts. You feel like you're not being heard. Maybe you're here and your parents never heard you. They heard your siblings and it just drove you to envy the position of your... What did the Bible say covetousness and envy is? Idolatry, Colossians chapter 3. 
You see, wanting to be heard can lead us to idolatrous desires, to lead us to this divisiveness in our lives of envying others in their position. Hear me on this. God hears you. If you're his child, you have access through no other person than Jesus to the Father. No one else gives you access. Acceptance by no one else will give you access. Acceptance by Jesus will give you access to the Father. He hears you. And that's good news. He sees you and he hears you. Simeon. The third son that Leah had, she named Levi. Levi's name means joined or attached. She says, now this time my husband will be joined to me. My husband will be attached to me. My husband will want me and come to me and be attached to me. Now she thinks, third son, surely this will be enough for my husband to be attached and joined to me. She wanted to belong. And so often our desires to belong will lead us to seek after things we can hold on to and relationships we can hold on to and people that we can hold on to when this is what God says. I will never leave you or forsake you. No one can snatch you out of my hand. We are God's children. We belong to him. You are bought with a price. Believer, know this. You belong. You are attached to him. No one can snatch you away. Levi. The fourth son is named Judah. It seems here now she's praising the Lord. Look, I will praise the Lord. This time I will praise the Lord. Maybe she's finally getting it. Maybe she's turning that corner and it's like, oh, okay, I get it. Now God's enough for me because Jacob still isn't paying much attention to me. He's paying enough attention to me to have four children, but he's not paying enough attention to me. You see how twisted we can get in our own minds? She's now had four sons and still Jacob's not paying enough attention to me. Okay, but here she is, Judah. Now I will praise the Lord. But isn't it so often that we can even give lip service to the Lord and yet he's not really our chief desire? We can sing things like, give this heart, O God, completely to you without actually giving him completely our heart. We can actually sing songs and give lip service to God, but really, in order to be fulfilled, we feel like we've got to have this other relationship. I want you to know that only God can fulfill your desires. Only God can fulfill your desires. When we come to that point of understanding that only God can fulfill our desires, we will be freeing ourselves from idolatry. From wanting to be heard and seen and accepted and attached to others because God will be enough for us. You continue on. The next four are where it really gets into this degenerative reality where the servants are given. So each uh, servant has two children. Rachel starts first and says, well, since I'm not having kids here, have my servant. Covetous idolatry will always lead us to using others to gain a false advantage or blessing. It's not real advantage or blessing. It's false. We'll start using other people for our gain. We'll start using other people. Why? Because we've already forsaken the image of God in our worship. Why wouldn't we forsake the image of God in people? It's a pretty easy step, isn't it? As soon as you forsake worshiping God is enough, people don't mean a whole lot. 
How often is it that we, when we seek desires that are less than what God has for us, when we seek after things with all of our heart that aren't God, how often is it that we'll use other people, we'll step on whoever it takes to get there? Covetous idolatry will always cause us to use others to gain our false advantage or benefits. Look back at the story. The next child is Dan. So Rachel gives her servant. Servant has a baby named Dan. And the the words here are judgment. Bilhah's son, Dan. Rachel says, God has judged my case. What this really means is God has vindicated me. Look, I have a son. Now I'm vindicated. See, I'm not an outcast. But it's not a real vindication from God, is it? She gave her servant. It wasn't actually her child. She's so delusional at this point about her idolatry that she's willing to use whatever means necessary to win this war against her sister. Whatever it takes. Even false vindication. The next son is Naphtali. Here it's, I have wrestled. Right? I love it. I've wrestled and I have prevailed against my sister. You want to talk about, you get to the point where you're not mixing words anymore. You know, sometimes at least with sin, we try to hide it. Here she's like, I've wrestled and won. Ha <laughs> ha. Well, of course, Leah at this point could go 4-2, really 4-0. But she's saying, I've wrestled and I've prevailed. We even have false victories in our life where we can say, see, I won. How many times have you argued about things that weren't God things and won? Don't you always lose all around? When you stand for what's fair but it has nothing to do with God, doesn't everybody lose? When you try to get your own justice, doesn't everybody lose? Sometimes it's just better to go, this fight isn't worth fighting because there are bigger fish to fry. Here she says, I've got a false victory. I've got a victory. Look at the victory I have, Naphtali. The, the third in this group is Gad. This is now Leah going, well, I'm going to get in on this act, and I'm going to send my servant in. So she sends her servant in, and at his birth, Gad's birth, birth she says, look, a troop comes. Or look, I have more kids than you do. I'm blessed. Look at this huge gaggle of blessings I have. Was she really looking at her children as blessings? Just tools in her arsenal to win this war. False blessings. False growth. I've got more kids than you do. Ha, 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 ha. Let me just make this clear. Having more does not mean you're blessed. It could mean you're blessed, but it doesn't necessarily mean you're blessed. You can just say that about big churches, little churches. God uses all kinds of churches, all sizes of churches, the smallest churches to the largest churches. And yes, God may be blessing a giant church, but just because a church is giant doesn't mean it's blessed. You can use all kinds of worldly ways to get big, to get rich, to grow. All kinds of worldly ways and have nothing to do with God. So it has nothing to do with the size or the size of the perceived blessing. Did God actually get the blessing? No, this is going against God's whole design for marriage. God's not blessing this. God's going to work in spite of it. Finally, in this last group of four is Asher. Asher meaning happiness. 
Isn't it fascinating how we can find a lesser happiness as soon as our hearts are attached to a lesser love? Our joy and our happiness should be found in our God who was the one who was giving all of these children and yet happiness was in winning now. Oh, that we would never fall into this trap of idolatry that leads us to need to be seen, need to be heard, envy the position of others, envy being attached or accepted by the world around us to the point that we would even use people for false victories, for false vindication, for false blessing, and even for a fake happiness. But idolatry will always lead down this road. The last group of children that we're going to talk about is all about defilement. So here's where the story gets even crazier, if possible. One of the sons goes out into the field, finds some mandrakes. These are fertility fruits. And brings them home and says, Mom, look what I found. Now Dad will be able to have more kids with you. Because she had stopped bearing. And Leah now has this one up again. Not trusting God, who every verse says, God gave the son. Right? God gave the children. Every time God did this, she's not trusting God for this. She's going to trust mandrakes. Rachel comes in and goes, you got mandrakes? Give me some of those mandrakes. She's not trusting God. I want mandrakes. Give me mandrakes. Why should I give you mandrakes? You already stole my husband. And I'm sure there was something like that. It had to happen. Right? You already stole my husband. Why are you want my mandrakes? Should I give you my son's mandrakes too? Well, then fine, you can have the husband back for the night if you give me some of the mandrakes. Sounds like a plan. Let me go out and tell Jacob that I just bought him with mandrakes. Now, guys are usually the ones accused of, like, really bad at gift giving and things like that, right? But if your wife shows up and goes, bought you for mandrakes, don't be flattered. There's something deeper going on. But she purchases her husband for mandrakes. In fact, she is taking and defiling what God has called holy, the, the holy sanctum of marriage. They are defiling this in a brand new way. Not only are we just adding women to this, now we're going to treat our husband as if we could just buy him. Isn't it fascinating that he being the one who was now being purchased by mandrakes had purchased his wives by seven years of work. Had purchased his blessing by lentil stew. All of the sins of Jacob coming home to roost in his own life now, in his own family. All of these things visited upon this next generation Ultimately, they would trade their joy for their base desires. Trade the joy in the holiness of marriage for a base desire to win. Because that's what idolatry leads us to. With Issachar, the next son, idolatry leads to the ends justifying the means. She, she cries out, God has given me my wages. He's given me what I'm due. He's given me my due. He's paid me back for what I've done. In a positive way, she says this as a blessing. As praise. Yes, God has given you the wages. Mandrakes. Good on you. But that's all you have to show for it. Issachar. Idolatry leads to cheapening our most important 
relationships. This is Zebulun. Now she says, I have this other son. And now I'll be able to dwell. I'll get honor and exaltation from my husband. Now he will honor me. God has given me this good gift so my husband will dwell with me and honor me. She's so misplaced. God is the only one who can bring honor. By honoring him, he will take the lowly and he will raise them up. Go back to verse 31 of the last chapter. God saw her and that she was hated. And he lifted her up. That wasn't enough for her. I ask you, is it enough to know that God hears you, that he sees you, that he loves you, that he accepts you, and he will lift you up and honor you, that he will give you everything you need? Is that enough? Because if it's not, you and I are on shifting sand. We're on unsolid ground. We will constantly seek all of that somewhere else. Let's not fall into that trap. But then we get the end of the passage. Then God remembered Rachel and God listened to her and opened her womb. Once again, God doing the work. And she conceived and bore a son and said, God has taken away my reproach. Now she is no longer cursed because she has a son. And this is what she says. She called his name Joseph. You know what Joseph means? More. Do it again. Idolatry leads to no satisfaction, only a desire for more. She says, give me another son. I want another one now. Idolatry will never lead to satisfaction. God will give us what we need to satisfy us when we are satisfied with God. It's the only way you're ever going to be satisfied. You will never be satisfied by anything else. Folks, I want us to learn from this. I want us to grow from this. I want us to find good news in this because, first of all, we need to come to terms with the idolatry in our own lives. So stop for just a moment, parents and grandparents. I want you to stop for just a moment. If you were to rename your children after your greatest desires, what would be their names? Security. Success, belonging. Are, are you with me right now? It's, it's an interesting thing. They just wore it on their kids' names, right? They just wore their sins right out in public. We tend to not wear them so proudly and so upfront. But I ask you, what would you rename your kids if you renamed them after your greatest desires? Could it be that we're not so far from them, we just like to hide it a little better than they did? I want to encourage us to come back to our first love, to the chief desire, the one who will fulfill every other desire that we have, the one who will fulfill us because we're made in his image and made to worship him. So here's the good news. God will not and cannot be defeated by idols. Let me say that again. God will not and cannot be defeated by idols. No idol will ever defeat our God. Carved 
or in our mind, no idol will ever defeat our God. His purposes and plans will still prevail. See this. God will work in spite of our sinful idolatry. Joseph, give me another. I need another son. Add to me. Let's go. God, thanks for that one. Let's, I'm not satisfied. Give me more. You know what he'll do? He'll fill this to satisfaction the people of God when they would die from a famine and need to come to Egypt. God will use Joseph to save his brothers who sold him into slavery. God will work in spite of the sinful idolatry of Leah and Rachel and Jacob. God will work through the sinful idolatry of these people, Levi and Judah. See, Rachel, the loved one, she wasn't going to have the son from whose line would come the Messiah. No, Leah got that honor. She had Judah. And from the tribe of Judah would come the kings and would come the king of kings. From Levi would come those who would lead God's people to sacrifice before the Lord, to honor him and worship the Levites. God would work in spite of and through the sinful idolatry to turn God's people from their idolatry to their hearts worshiping one true God. From Levi's line would come those who would stand before God and say to the people, you should have no other gods but Yahweh. And that's good news. God does that in our lives. He will be victorious. He will work to reverse our sinful idolatry and will redeem us out of our sinful idolatry. He will take his people into captivity and out of captivity and out of captivity. He will lead them to a mountain and on that mountain he will say, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt. You should have no other gods besides me. You won't take my name in vain. You won't make graven images of me. You'll have no idols before me. I am the Lord your God. You will have no other gods before me. He will consistently remind us that what true worship looks like is and what real obedience looks like is you will love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And you will love those around you. You will love your neighbor as yourself. He will reverse the sinful idolatry. And ultimately, one who would come from the tribe of Judah would take all of the guilt and the wrath of God against our idolatry and against our sin upon himself. And there would be a Gentile outside of this family who would look at that Savior from the tribe of Judah on the cross and would say, truly, this is the Son of God. So I ask you, would you look at him and say, truly, this is the Son of God? The one promised, the one who comes not from perfection because he came from a line of total imperfection and yet he was not marred by any of it. Because he has been and always will be holy and perfect. He lived a perfect, sinless life for you and for me so that you and I who could never live that sinless life could be made whole. And then he died the death that you and I deserved on the cross so that we would never have to face the wrath of God. The wrath of God would be poured out on him so that we wouldn't have to face that for eternity. And he took that cup and he drank it. He took that cup of God's wrath and he drank it all down for us. So that anyone who believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. So I call out to you today, what idols have taken his place? 
You were made to worship. I was made to worship. We were made to be worshipers. Made in his image to have a relationship with him, made to be worshipers. You're going to worship something. The question is, are you worshiping him? Let's pray.